Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. If you've ever come uh, to our place, something you'll realize really quick is we love music and we love singing. There's always singing kind of happening somewhere in the house. Uh, Someone singing just on their own, in the shower, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, in their bedroom. Some people are using instruments, some not. Maybe it's just iTunes. There's always some sort of a song going on. And I love that. One of, the, one of my favorite times, actually, as a family is we, we try to gather together for family uh, worship. And over the years, that's kind of looked different as our family has grown in different seasons in and out. Sometimes it's in the morning, sometimes it's in the evening, just some time where we can read and sing and pray. And uh, sometimes we'll crack open some hymns and sing some classics. Sometimes we'll, re- we'll sing a, a song that we just heard on a Sunday. But I love it when we get to sing as a family. The other time, one of my favorite times, is when we get together as a family here, when the church of God, when the family of God gathers together and sings the praises of God, people coming from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures and languages as brothers and sisters in Christ praising his name. I love it. I love it. Just even this morning, thank you, brother, for leading us. Just the Lord, I think, is just so powerfully moving. And it's interesting that in Ephesians 5, God actually says that one of the ways, one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is actually singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody from your heart to the Lord. That's one of the evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, singing runs in the family. And Making a melody in your heart is just something that runs through the veins, kind of like the blood of believers. Redeemed people just have a rhyme and a rhythm in their soul. They cannot help but sing because they've been saved. And it's no surprise then when we open our Bibles, we find right in the middle a whole book full of songs. We call them the Psalms, and we're looking at number 67, here today. And this is, we don't know exactly who wrote this, what human author was, but the Spirit of God gave this song to the nation of Israel so that they might know how to sing God's praises. It wasn't just to be read, but it was to be sung from the heart to God. And so, as uh, Vicky read so well, Psalm 67, you can see that it's really a prayer. It's a prayer for God's people about the mission of God. It was meant to be an urgent plea and petition for God to fulfill one of his greatest promises that he ever gave to his people. In verse 1, you'll see it says, May God be gracious to us. And bless us. 
Now, this is referring back to a promise that God gave Abraham many, many years back. And we read about that in Genesis 12, which reads in verse 2 and 3, God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now there's a lot of things here but two of the things that really stand out are these two unconditional no strings attached promises that God makes to Abraham. One that God would bless him and two that God would bless the world through him. Now, there's a lot of confusion today, I think, when we start talking about the word blessing. Uh, it's when someone sneezes, you'll hear, bless you. When someone sends a text, they end it, God bless you. You may see someone on TV asking for your money, and they say it'll be blessed. And you're kind of wondering, like, what, how is this word getting used? The Bible talks about being blessed like this. To be blessed means to experience the fullness of God. To be blessed means to experience the fullness of God. That is, you get all of God. You get his presence, his peace, his comfort, his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness, his discipline, his power and strength and comfort day by day. You get all of God. When you get all of God, that is to be blessed. What could be better than that? Is there anything more that we could ever want than God himself? The greatest thing that God could ever give us is himself. And so we experience this blessing by faith. Um, not, it can't get inherited, it can't get passed down, I can't write an exam and get it. It's simply something that I believe, I trust in him. I trust in him as he has revealed himself through the word of God. So I experience the blessing of God by faith in believing what he has said about himself and his character, his attributes. What he has actually said in the promises of God in the word of God. As I read about the actions and the great, marvelous, wondrous deeds of God and all the creating and saving acts that he has done, I believe that he has done that. And as I believe the word of God, I receive and experience the blessing of God. I experience God first in believing him and coming to salvation and then experiencing forgiveness, cleansing, Adoption into his family. And even that he would put his own spirit inside of me. That he would dwell and live inside of me. These are all blessings that the children of God, that the people of God experience. They get God. So blessing is primarily spiritual, but it does include physical. Absolutely. God created everything. And so we know that God is spirit, and yet he has created all things. So blessing isn't just spiritual. It is also physical. But we need to realize that the physical is not necessarily here and now. God promises when Jesus returns to make all things new, and when he welcomes us into his new heavens and earth, 
that is when we will experience the physical blessing that's paired with and joined to the spiritual blessing we experience right now inside, being cleansed, being born again, having God live in our hearts by his spirit. That's the spiritual blessing we experience now. That's, that's the very presence of God. That's the fullness of God we now experience. And it points to the full expression of that when he returns. So when God makes a promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12, it says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. What he's saying to Abraham is that Abraham... I'm going to bless you with a full experience of who I am by faith. And as you walk by faith, the entire world, through you, the entire world is going to come to know who I am and have an opportunity to know and trust in me and therefore experience the fullness of God. And through Abraham, way down his line, a descendant of his was Jesus Christ. And that is through whom, as we will see, the blessing goes to the entire globe that as people put faith and trust in Jesus, they experience the fullness of God and are blessed and are blessed. So we see this not only in Psalm 67, picking up this idea from Abraham and this promise God made to him, but also we see it put in a different way at the end of that verse. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This is another way of saying really the same thing. For God's face to shine upon a person is for God to bless that person. This is kind of getting uh, back to a prayer that God commanded Aaron, who was a high priest in Israel, to pray and pronounce over God's people back in Numbers 6. This was the prayer he was to pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord causes face to shine or make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was something that he was to pray over and pronounce over God's people on a daily basis. And you see how similar that is to verse 1? May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine Upon us, and what would that be like? Uh, my family and I, we just got back from a week of camping. Thankfully, it was great weather. But I don't know if you've ever gone camping or have just been outside at a picnic, and it's raining, it's drizzling, you're cold, you're wet, and suddenly the clouds break and a shaft of light streams down and suddenly the sun hits your face and the, the warmth you feel just kind of pouring over your body. That's like having God's face smile upon you. This idea that if you're a parent and you have a, a child and the child just happens to look up at you and you return and smile at your child, that sense that that child knows at that moment, yes, my mom and dad, they love me. And there's this deep sense of assurance and hope and love that they feel, this warmth, this closeness, this safety. This is the idea that God has and he wants his people to know that his face shines on them. You know, sometimes we can get a really whacked idea about as children of God, as people of God, who God really is. We have these ideas or perceptions of what God might be like. 
Sometimes we think of him as a, as a cruel judge or as an angry dad. But no, toward his people, his face shines. He loves them. And he wants them to know that he loves them. So, in Psalm 67 here, we see two things happening. Abraham's promise and Aaron's prayer coming together in a song, in a request that God would fulfill these things, that God would make good on his promise to bless Abraham and to fulfill this prayer for Aaron. This was a prayer, and this is kind of picked up in Psalm 67, and Psalm 67 was to be prayed by Israel, but it was also to be prayed by us today. Now, why would God want us to pray this kind of a prayer? I mean, what would he want, why would he want to bless us? It's not to make us wealthy and healthy and prosperous right now. He's got much bigger and better plans than just that. What he wants to do, God's going to walk us through here as the Spirit is inspired, four different reasons as to why, why God would actually want us to pray, bless me. And this is the first one. We must pray that God would bless us. We must pray for God's blessing so that the nations would sing his praise. That the nations would sing his praise. We see this all throughout this short little song in verse 3, 4, and 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. When the Bible talks about peoples, what it's talking about are distinct language groups and cultures, not just geopolitical boundaries. All that stuff kind of changes with different wars over world history. What he's talking about here, what the scripture is talking about when it talks about peoples, are actual linguistic ethnic groups. And there's thousands of them, over 6,000 different ethnic group people groups around the world. And God's plan is that all of these, there would be people from every one of these groups of people made to sing his praises. I still remember, uh, it was 2003, it was in the summertime, I was somewhere over the Atlantic on an airplane heading toward a mission trip, and I was reading a little book called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And I think it was like page one, there's this little line here that totally changed my perspective of missions, of what it means to take the good news of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard. And it is this. Worship, missions exists where worship doesn't. Missions exists where worship doesn't. And I had never thought of it that way. That in those places where worship of the one true and living God is not happening, that is exactly where we have to go on mission to take the name of God so that they might know him and be saved, that they might be saved. We're not just praying. We don't take the gospel just so to see conversions. What we want is a choir. We want to see as people come to Christ and put their faith in Christ, they are saved to sing, to sing his praises in all of their tongues. You may know this old hymn, uh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And that hymn is the idea that there are thousands of languages. And it's a prayer, really, that this song is, 
that that hymn is saying is that may all the languages that God has ever created and every tongue that he has designed all praise the one true and living God. This is the reason why God's people have to pray, have to pray for his blessing so that our hearts as the people of God who have come to know God through Christ and the gospel, that our hearts would sing. And in our song, other people would hear the gospel and that they too might believe and be changed and saved to sing. And so we must pray for God's blessing so that not only the nations will sing his praise, but also that the nations would know his saving power. And this is really getting at the reason why they sing, what's fueling their song. And we see this in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. What God is saying here is that there's a way in which he saves people, a way of salvation. Now this may... Uh, Jog your memory a bit back to Isaiah 35, in which God talks about this highway of holiness, this way of salvation, on which not super holy righteous people walk, but the rescued walk on this highway of holiness. And what the Bible then tells us later on is that this holy road is not just a, a piece of asphalt, but a person. It's actually Jesus Christ, who himself said in John 14, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is this way, this highway of holiness, this road that leads to God. And he's the only person who can bring us to God so that we might know God and experience his blessing, his fullness. Now, there are many Religions that claim to bring people to God. It could be Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, uh, Zoroastrianism, Sikhism. They all claim to lead to God, but they do not because they don't bring you to Jesus. You have to be brought to Jesus because he himself says that he is the way. God the Father himself says about Jesus, his son, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to him. Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. There are no other roads. There is one path. There is one highway, and it's Jesus. It's a person. That's why Jesus himself calls him Self, the door or the narrow gate through which people must come if they want to know God and experience his fullness. So we must pray. We must pray that God would bless us, that is, cause his face to shine upon us so that his saving power might shine through us, that our song might be heard from us, and that people would see and hear it and come to know the saving power of God. And we can do this so easily. Sometimes we get this idea, like, I got to get a plane ticket and, like, travel six hours somewhere and cross five time zones, and that's when I'm really, you know, telling people who have never heard about God and the gospel. No, you, you just got to cross your street. 
Just invite your neighbors into your home. You can be a powerful missionary around your kitchen table or in your living room. Or you can go grab coffee with a coworker. It's very unique. God has allowed us to live in such a time as this where people from all around the world are coming to Canada and particularly Toronto and the GTA. We have an incredible, one of the most unique opportunities in all of world history to be a part of the Great Commission simply by living on the street you live in and or in the apartment building on the floor you're on. God has strategically placed you there in his wisdom and providence. He knows exactly, I want you in apartment 2015 and on this street because I'm going to bring this person from Mongolia and this person from Pakistan. I'm going to bring your brother. You're going to, like all these people, he's just going to bring so that you might be a light right there so that they may hear the gospel sung from your mouth. So we must pray. We must pray that God would bless us so that the nations would sing his praise, that they might know his saving power. But you'll notice in verse 4, another reason is given. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For, because you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. We see two reasons here why the nations would be so glad. And it's because that God is both a judge and a guide. Those two words describe God as being a shepherd. And that's why we need to pray. So the nations would see the Lord as their shepherd, as their shepherd. When we see this word um, judge, you know, sometimes we can get that idea of God being this, I don't know, cruel, angry, arms folded, brow furrowed kind of a God up in heaven looking down and just waiting to condemn us. That's not the picture at all. The idea of a judge is more of a, of a leader or a governor, someone who would be able to come in and settle disputes, who has incredible discernment. The, uh, the, that word is often used in someone coming into a situation and relieving people who are being oppressed in injustice coming into a situation and helping out and helping those who are crying out to him for help, who are weak, who are poor, who are needy, and are in need of an advocate. He comes in to be a voice for those who have no voice. That's how this word is being used. God doesn't take bribes. He doesn't show partiality. He doesn't have favorites. God is completely fair and just and comes into those who are suffering under injustice, those who cry out to him in those situations. But God is not only described as that kind of a judge, a judge who judges with equity or equality or fairness, but he's also described as a good guide, a guide who leads his people like a king and cares for them as a father. Sometimes, again, when we think of kings, we can think of tyrants. Or when you think of your boss, sometimes you think of a tyrant. Or your father, you think of, he was the opposite of caring. He was a monster. And we can have these pictures that are shaped horizontally by experiences we've had in our life. But what God wants to do is show, by contrast, that he's not like that. He rules as king, yes, 
But the way he leads is by calling people to himself. He's a father, yes, but he's, he's not a monster. He's a caring father who carries his children by his everlasting arms. These are the pictures that this is why the nations would want to praise him because he's that kind of a judge. He's that kind of a guide. He's so good. He comes in and rescues. No one would know this more than Israel themselves. I mean, that nation, they knew what it was like to cry out to God, not for a week or a month or a year, but decades and even centuries, crying out to God that he would come and he came and rescued them up out of Egypt, guided them through the wilderness for 40 years and brought them safely into the promised land so that they could sing with King David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. What a perfect shepherd he is. And that's why he's worthy of all praise, not just within Israel, but among all nations. Because God is able to be this kind of a judge and this kind of a guide to all those from every nation, tribe, and tongue, whomever puts their faith and trust in him. He is able to be that kind of a judge and that kind of a shepherd and guide. And so this is why God commanded Israel to pray. Psalm 67 that they would be blessed, and through them, the world would be blessed. And initially, this was happening. Right near the end of this song, verse 6, it says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Already, the psalmist pictures um, the world kind of like a barren field that initially was bearing no fruit. And yet... As Israel loved and trusted God, they were experiencing the fullness of God and the blessing of God. They were singing the praises of God, and the nation started to hear, and the nation started to see and look in, what is going on? What kind of a God rescues a nation out of Egypt and destroys a world power, safely guiding them through a barren desert, giving them food miraculously 24-7, and bringing them safely into the promised land? And you start seeing evidences of God bearing fruit, people joining themselves to the people of God, putting faith in the Lord. You see Moses' father-in-law, who was a Midianite priest, a pagan priest, who could not but praise Yahweh, the Lord, after he had seen how God had rescued his people out of Egypt. Then you see during the reign of King David, Hittites and Canaanites, people from all the surrounding nations, joining not only David, but his faith in the Lord. Even with King Solomon, you have the Queen of Sheba coming, traveling all the way to Israel and blessing and praising the Lord. You begin to see the nations singing his praises. But something went wrong. You see, what happened over time is that God's people, Israel, began to no longer be a light to the nations who were in darkness, but they abandoned God who was their light and turned away from his smiling, shining face and began to embrace the dark, idolatrous worship of the nations around them so that they were no longer shining light into that situation, but they had been handed over. They gave themselves over to the darkness. No longer was God's light shining through them, but they were now as lost as the nations around them. And you 
wonder, has God's promise failed? What, what about that promise back to Abraham? Is, is it not going to get worked out? What about that prayer that Aaron prayed? Is, is that going to fall to the ground and not actually get fulfilled? No. Now, God always keeps his promises. And the way he keeps his promises is by coming himself to fulfill them. And this is what he does in Jesus Christ. Jesus, God the Son, comes and is born in the line of Abraham so that he might be that promised son, that, that faith in him, through him, all the peoples of the world might come to know God and the fullness of God and the blessing of God through salvation in him. Jesus Christ, he is the great high priest who fulfills the prayer of Aaron that in him, he might be that blessing. It's his face Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians that Jesus Christ, it's his face, that he is the face of the glory of God. It's his face that now shines upon the nations, calling all peoples of all places to come and put faith in him. Isaiah 49 speaks about this. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, It's too light of a thing. This is God himself speaking. It's too small. It's too light of a thing that you... Jesus should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too small of a thing for Jesus just to save one people group. He is able through Jesus to save people from all places and languages and tribes and cultures and nations so that they might see Jesus who is the light of the world and come to saving faith and sing his praises. John 8, in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am that light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. What a promise. But will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world, the very face and smile of God upon his children. God incarnate, come to earth to shine the fullness of God to all the nations. Jesus is the answer and the fulfillment of Psalm 67. He's what the song points to. God has blessed us. He has smiled upon us. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Everyone, doesn't matter where you are on the globe, everyone now is able, a way has been opened up for them to know and be saved by Jesus Christ, receiving his forgiveness and eternal life so that they might be with him forever and ever. And this blessing of knowing God and experiencing his blessing has come, has come all the way here. I mean, just even looking around. Uh, Jeff was mentioning that this morning. Like, look around what God has done. He has brought people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. When I think of my ancestors, my ancestors were like cannibalistic, human-sacrificing, druid pagans. And God rescued them way back. I was just looking in at a newspaper clipping. My family came to Canada 200 years ago as immigrants because they were seeking refuge here. And it's been several generations since then. And God saved a family way back, uh, almost 200 years ago. And that faith has kind of trickled its way through my family. Not all my family is saved. 
But I am so thankful that in God's mercy, the gospel has come to my family and my people group. But it can't stop there. It has to keep going. It has to keep spreading. And here we are now able, we're starting to see this song continue and get picked up and fulfilled even in our day as people from all around the world has gone from Israel to Canada to Tel Aviv to Toronto. It's going out across the nations. Just to give you a little idea of what's happening, there's by rough estimate, a great website to check out is the Joshua Project. And from that website, just pulling a few facts here, I won't touch on all of them, but there's around three-quarters of a, of a billion people around the world that are born-again believers. That's about one in ten people on earth. Did you know that they're, the rate by which people are coming to Christ is twice as fast as those who are converts to Islam and three times as fast to those who are turning to Hinduism? God is at work in our day in unprecedented ways, and yet there are still many who have never heard, many millions of people who have never heard. Um, just recently in India, in an area where there's entire states, it's forbidden to preach the gospel, and God yet is still bringing the gospel in in, in amazing ways. In Pakistan, about 99% of their population, which is almost 200 million, uh, don't have access to the gospel. Uh, they are, there are hundreds, almost 400 unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a people group that there are some believers there, but there isn't a lot of access to the gospel in those areas. In India... As well, there's over half a million villages in India that have no known Christian presence, no history whatsoever that the gospel has ever gone there. There are millions and millions of people who have not yet heard, and it's not just over there. I was walking on my street and I was talking to various people from around the world and realizing that they, they uh, sometimes people had heard of Christianity, but they had never heard of Jesus. They've never even heard of the gospel. There's such a great, great need. And it reminds us of Romans 10 where it says, How will they hear? How will they sing the praises of God? How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, without someone singing the gospel, shining the gospel out in their lives? And as sobering as this is, there are still other parts of the world who have heard the gospel and have experienced even times of revival, but now in our day have rejected the gospel. And there's many examples, but the one that sticks out most soberingly is that of Israel itself. That out of approximately 15 million Jews in the world, only 0.5% are born-again evangelical believers that would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord and Savior. This is sobering because it was this song that God gave to the Jews that they might sing it so the nations would hear the gospel. But now the roles have been reversed. Now it's Gentile believers who are coming to faith that are beginning to sing this song back to Israel that they might remember and trust again in the God whose face is shining on his people. 
we have a mission as a church that God has given us as a family. This is the family business, to spread the name of Jesus Christ everywhere. That, that's what we're all about. That's, that's what the family does. Every brother and sister in Christ, whether it's on your road or in your apartment building or as you're in business and traveling from city to city or country to country or whatever you're doing, or as a mom around your kitchen table sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to your unsaved children, we are on mission in spreading the name of Jesus Christ so that people from everywhere, from all cultures and tribes and languages would know Jesus and be saved to sing. And so we must pray. We must pray for God's blessing. But there's one last point here that talks about the fear of the Lord. You'll see here in verse 7, it says, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And I want to mention this just because, I, again, I think there's some confusion. I, I was really confused about this word fear, it shows up quite a bit in the Bible. What does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean what I thought initially, that you should be um, scared and terrified because God is this unpredictable monster. No, that's not it at all. This is speaking about a holy reverence for God, an honor and respect of God because he is awesome in power both to judge and to save, so that the people of God feel this incredible combo of feelings that, oh my goodness, God is so powerful, so amazing, I would never dream of pursuing and loving something more than him. I wouldn't dream of being so disloyal and disobedient to him. I, I wouldn't dream, I, I, I fear the discipline of the Lord because in his love, he always is always bringing his children back to him and bringing them back in line to him. But it also talks about this holy, reverent fear that, God, you have saved me. And there is a worship, there is a reverence, there is an honoring, a gratitude and thanksgiving that happens in the heart of God's people, that they would fear him and not fear anything else. I don't need to fear any more superstitions. If you come from a culture like mine where there's all sorts of superstitions, I don't know what it is with the number 13 or maybe it's the number four or whatever it is. Don't walk under a ladder. Walk into your house backwards when you go into... There's all these superstitions that we have. They're not in the Bible. I don't fear them. I fear the one true and living God. I don't fear the other false deities. I don't fear all these... Well, if you don't do these pillars, or if you don't spin these prayer wheels, this will happen, and there's going to get bad karma. I don't fear any of that, because that's not in the Word of God. I only fear the one true and living God. And God is gathering people from all around the world, like, like me and like you, who have all sorts of bent and distorted ideas about what's true and what's not, and he's rescuing us, and he's allowing the Word of God now to reshape who we are and how we think, that our hearts might get reoriented again and begin to worship and sing the one true and living God fueled by the truth of God's word. And so this mission that God is on in rescuing people from all nations and building this global choir of saints who sing his praises will be fulfilled. It's not like, you know, there's a 79% chance. It's 100% sure and we know this because Revelation 7 says it. God says this. He gives John, who wrote the 
the book of Revelation, a picture in Revelation 7. This is what John saw. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Mission accomplished. There will be a time, not just when we gather here, just us right here, but there will be a global gathering a choir of people from all nations, tribes, and tongues that have been redeemed by the Lamb, saved by the Lamb, rescued by the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And we will all have a voice to sing his praises forever and ever and ever. And so, what's your role in this? What, what can I do just here in my little house, do my little job on my little street, What's my role? I'll close with this. Three simple ways, but are powerful ways that all of us as children of God are to be involved in. One, we need to pray this song. Begin to pray this song. Thank God that you are actually a part of the fulfillment of this song. And then begin praying, God, would you cause your light to shine through me? Would you cause your gospel song to be heard from my mouth? Begin to pray this song. Also, Begin to give toward the fulfillment of this song. I love this church and this gathering of believers. And this is really an overflow of our heart of, of, as a church. We're giving, and you are giving yourselves time and energy, but also money. That It takes money to buy Bibles. It takes money to rent this building so that the people in this area all around locally would hear the gospel, but that other people globally would also be affected by the gospel. So we need to give, we need to pray, but we also need to go. As we mentioned already, going can look like hospitality, inviting unbelieving neighbors, family, friends, coworkers, enemies around your kitchen table and sharing your story about how Jesus has saved you. Those are those three ways that you can, even today, this week, begin to pray this song and give toward the fulfillment of this song and begin to go and live out this song as God's people who have, been pray, who have been saved to sing his praises. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are amazed that you would save us. Who are we? Oh, you love to use weak instruments. And I thank you, God, that you get more glory that way because there's definitely no reason why your mission would get fulfilled by using vessels like me. And so, Lord, we thank you that as brothers and sisters in Christ, you kindly save us and then give us your spirit and enable us together as a church family now to be on mission with you about our Father's business, in the family business of spreading the name of Jesus Christ to all nations. Oh God, would you do this in this area? God, would you do this in, in uh, North Toronto? God, would you do this in West Toronto, East Toronto, South Toronto, downtown? Would you do this all throughout the GTA? Would you do this all throughout our province and throughout our nation and to all nations, oh God? Would you do this? Would you help us to be faithful just today 
at our kitchen table, just today with our own family, and begin to spread and invite people to hear about the one name given among men by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. To you be all the praise in every tongue. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.